The following podcast contains explicit language. Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic. Welcome to the Slate Spoiler Special podcast on Funny People, the new Judd Apatow movie starring Seth Rogen and Adam Sandler. I'm here in the Slate studio with Tanner Colby. Hi, Tanner. Hey, Dana. Who is our resident comedy expert for spoiler I don't know if I'm purposes. an expert, but we'll, we'll, well give it a for, shot. Well, compared to me, well, you'll do. Um, and how are we introducing you? You're the author. Well, we might as well mention, especially for this movie, that you're the author of... Uh, a biography of John Belushi called Belushi and a biography of uh, Chris Farley called The Chris Farley Show. Both so, oral biographies, right? Both oral biographies and both about the sad, tragic underbelly of comedy. Right, which for our purposes really does <laughs> yes. make you ideal. so I guess I am the expert. So um, let's let's start off with a quick plot summary. I mean, this is being so heavily promoted, this movie, that if you've seen the trailer, you pretty much know what it's about. But let's let's do some setup. Well, uh, Adam Sandler pay, plays a world-famous celebrity movie star slash stand-up comedian a la Robin Williams or, or Will Ferrell or Jim Carrey or Adam Sandler. And he finds out in the very first scene, I mean, from you know the first scene of the movie, that he's dying. He has some strange blood disease. And the blood disease throughout the whole movie is a bit of a deus ex machina, but we'll get to that later. Uh, so he finds out that he's dying, and he goes, and his life is miserable, and he lives in a big, fancy house, and he has no one to love him, and he's all alone except for his Mexican servants. And he goes to a comedy club to grab five minutes on stage and does some real angry, bitter, uh, soul-searching comedy that just goes over like a lead balloon and then meets Seth Rogen, who's a young, up-and-coming, wannabe stand-up, and hires him uh, to write some jokes for him. And they get into this weird, odd, codependent... uh, Like a hired friendship, basically. Hired friendship. He pays him to be his friend. He wants him to be there just to talk to him while he goes to sleep. And so they get into this weird relationship. And then... uh, uh, halfway through the movie, uh, you know, and then Adam Sandler calls up his his you know ex girlfriend, who's the woman he should have been with, but he was an asshole to her, and now she's married to this other guy who's a bit of a douche, but also like basically a decent guy, and you're not supposed to hate him. I think played by Eric Bana, and uh, so he has this come to Jesus moment, even though he's Jewish, and uh, uh, decides to turn his life around and be a better person, and then in the end, just proves himself to be the narcissist that he really is and basically unlikable and then for some reason in the last 30 seconds the movie does a hairpin turn and he's a good guy again well we should mention as well i really want to get to the ending because i think we were both sort of flabbergasted by it Um, yes but but we should mention and this is somewhat of a spoiler that uh that he discovers that he's not sick about what would you say like three quarters of the way through the movie two thirds or so yeah it was not a false alarm exactly but he's just sort of mysteriously gotten better yeah every his 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 odd blood disease has gone into remission and he never really feels or looks that sick throughout the whole movie. Um, never really goes, seems to go through any of the like, actual debilitating physical limitations. Well, that's not true. I think there's sick. a couple barfing montages and things the, the, like that. Well, there's, there's a little bit. Um, uh, but then he goes and he he, he reconciles with, with Leslie Mann, uh, who's married to this guy, and, and convinces, almost convinces her to, to leave her family and run away with him, and they're going to have the relationship that they should have had and never had. Uh, but then at the last minute, she decides to stay with her husband. And when she decides, she decides to stay with her husband because she realizes he is, in fact, a narcissist and, and kind of an asshole when, uh, you know, he doesn't really treat her daughters very well or doesn't have enough empathy for, for her kids. And to my mind, to my mind, when he goes back to Los Angeles from San Francisco visiting this woman and tells everyone to fuck off and tells Seth Rogen that he's not really his friend and tells his ex-girlfriend that he doesn't want to be with her anyway and goes back to his mansion and crawls into his bed and just 
is all alone again because he's a horrible human being. That to me rang so true. Yes, because I lot- know so many people, and then the the the. But it's not a totally unhappy ending because Seth Rogen, who has idolized him and looked up to him this whole movie, realizes that he's a jerk and begins to insert some humanity into his own career and, and not just be a you know purely ambitious, self-centered uh, you know aspiring comedian. So that to me was the happy ending. But then in the last thirty seconds. Adam Sandler comes back to Seth Rogen. Who's and working in a deli, who's back in his day deli, job. Back in his day job. And, and Adam Sandler comes back and says, hey, let's be friends because I want to be a good guy anyway. It was total bullshit. I'm yeah, just going to call then, bullshit under on the, the credits, right now. Under the credits, you see the two of them like sitting in this deli telling each other jokes and giving each other joke ideas. And the idea is sort of that they're going to be like buds. And in fact, Adam Sandler has started to write jokes for Seth Rogen, which is this you know supposedly kind of touching turnaround. Right. But, you're right, it absolutely doesn't ring true with the character. And the previous last time that we see Adam Sandler's character before that, had he not come to the deli, I think is the perfect ending for his character. I know. He comes home at, from the, this kind of horrible debacle that we'll discuss at his, you know, his ex-girlfriend's house. And, and he pushes this button at, on his bed. You know, he's got some kind of remote-controlled shades, and you see the kind of darkness descending as he right. sort of lies in his lonely bed. And it's a little bit pushing the sort of tragic clown show business stereotype, but it makes total sense for that character. And I remember actually thinking at that moment, what a perfect goodbye to that character. That was really nicely done. Right. I feel like his popping up again was not just superfluous, but really kind of undercut the whole message of the movie. It did. It did. You know, the, the whole movie was that Seth Rogen was supposed to learn a lesson. And you, you, thought, you thought that Adam Sandler was going to, you know, uh, you know, Seth Rogen said it brilliantly when he looked at the guy and said, you're the only person I, never, I know, you're the only person I've ever met who had a brush with death and didn't learn anything from it. And to me, that was the message of the movie, that somebody could be so self-involved and so, you know... Just, just a terrible human being that, you know, facing that life and death struggle doesn't do anything to help them. It's, the ending is so kind of out of tune with what I thought the, the tone of the movie was that I actually wonder if it was maybe tacked on at the studio's insistence or something. Or is it, I mean, is it Apatow being that sappy himself? Or is it partly also a concession to the market? I, Not that that makes it okay, but... I don't know. Like, in, in at the end of Knocked Up, they leave it that, okay, well, we have no idea what we're doing with this baby, but we're going to give it a shot. Like, there's a definite feeling of this isn't perfect at the end of Knocked Up, um, even though they're, you know, they're, they're going to try. And to me, the, to just tie this up with a little bow, you know, 40-Year-Old Virgin was a bit more of a slapsticky kind of premise. And so it didn't, you know, it didn't have – the fact that it was a joyous, you know, wedding at the end was fine because that was the spirit of the movie. He finds love and, and, and you know, gets happy. But this – it just feels and, – and let me say that as someone who thoroughly enjoyed the movie all the way through until the last 30 seconds. Well, that was the next thing I was going to get to because you and I actually had a deal this time. Usually we talk about a movie on the way out and we kind of practice what we're going to say for the spoiler. But we thought, you know what? Let's just keep it fresh. And so I still have no idea what you thought of the movie. And I'm glad to hear you liked it because I just recorded a Culture uh, Gabfest session right here in the same room where mm-hmm. I sort of had to defend the movie against two attackers. And I actually thought given all of its sort of structural problems and its sort of overlongness and slightly overindulgence, self-indulgence at some points, that it was still a pretty funny and ambitious and successful sort of comedy drama right i liked the characters i wanted to stay with the characters i was fine just hanging out with the characters and watching them meander and it was only when in the last like 10 minutes when it's like okay we got to tie up this plot that uh you liked like, watching them meander though yeah i did i i just i enjoyed their company and i thought um you know given what i've seen of, of show business and comedians that the the supporting cast like jason schwartzman plays uh uh 
one of Seth Rogen's friends, and he's just gotten his big break. Uh, where he's on this horrible sitcom called Yo Teach, and he you know teaches these kids lessons about how Bill Shakespeare was the original rapper, and it's this really just horrible mawkish sitcomy nonsense. But he believes that like he's doing something important, and that he's he's got this great job. Uh, that was spot on. And then uh, Randy, which uh, as as he's Nari, the the Indian comedian, he plays this really really you know terrible comedian uh dane cookish kind of character who is implied at the end if i understand is sort of going to be the next in line to be the right hand man to adam sandler right right that's what after well exactly the when adam sandler sort of goes back into his cave of darkness that isn't the last time we see him is it no he, you're we, right he pops we see up him, again we, we twice. Pop, he pops up again with aziz asnari and that to me was perfect too. that could have been a fine that, final that, appearance that this you know this callow you know shallow comedian who thinks he's funny and he's just not and just latches on to Adam Sandler and Adam Sandler's you know happy to pick up another bottom feeder to be his uh you know sidekick well and as someone who's who's profiled show business people before I'm sure that that's fairly true to life to the way a lot of uh, sort of very famous people operate right is that they sort of go through friends very quickly and are always on the lookout for well either either they're intensely loyal to the people they knew before they were famous and they keep those people insulated around them because they are the only people they could trust. Or they end up with, with total hangers-on that, that don't care about them. And what happened with Belushi and Farley, both of them, it was drugs that, that, that made the difference because their friends wouldn't do drugs with them, because their friends would try and cut them off. They had to go and find people who didn't care about them at all to hang out with uh, to keep doing drugs. And it's like... You know, in this movie, as long as Adam Sandler was trying to get better, it, was, it wasn't drugs. It was, you know, he was addicted to his own selfishness or whatever, not to stretch the analogy. But as long as Adam Sandler was trying to get better and become a better person, Seth Rogen and Leslie Mann and, and, and all these people wanted to help him, wanted to support him, wanted to be around him. And then when he decided he was just going to be an asshole again, all he got was this, you know, hanger on wannabe uh, played by Aziz Nari to hang out with him. Um, that was spot on so i th- i found uh sort of the the negative take on Sa- sandler's character to be incredibly accurate um let's talk about sandler's performance for a minute because i i have to say i think this is the, the most i've ever liked adam sandler in any movie i've yes. never found him particularly compelling as a comedian although i realize that's just a taste thing i don't deny that you know he could make people laugh but he's never made me laugh and i particularly have never liked him as a dramatic lead or a romantic lead including in punch drunk love where i know he was sort of supposed to be mm-hmm. you know um, mining the adam sandler persona in a different way i never felt it really worked but i really liked him in this movie i thought I he too. had a really well-written character and that he understood it very deeply yeah and 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 I thought he had, you know, because he's a bit of a strange guy. I mean, but I not at all in the way that this character is strange. Not, in fact, not, he's he's somewhat of a isn't he somewhat of a sort of puppyish like infantile. Oh, I, I think everyone who talks about him is 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 you know uh, very complimentary, and he's you know obviously Apatow seems like a thoroughly decent human being, and they've been best friends for twenty years. So uh, not in a negative way, but you know he he didn't want to give an interview for uh, for the Farley book, wouldn't do it. Um, and he was in, and then he was out, and I never really understood why he wouldn't want to do an interview. I actually told his manager that I would let him write his own answers to questions, and I would run them unedited. You know, he can just he can write whatever he wants about his best friend, and it'll be in the book and not. Uh, but he has this wicked distrust of the press. You notice you've never seen a print interview with him since 1995. He'll go on the Tonight Show and he'll do that sort of thing, but he he does not do print media for his movies. Period. 
he hates he just he doesn't trust them and he won't talk to them um so he's he's got his own sort he lives in very much in his his adam sandler world and he's got his happy madison production company and and he's a very sort of idiosyncratic individual um and i think he really got the isolation of the of this character because because i don't think adam sandler is isolated in the same way that people don't like him but you know he's very much in this you know sort of rarefied circle with you know uh you know once people are walking that high wire they filled with all sorts of self-doubt and you know why am i here and that sort of thing so i think he really really had a grip on the character i thought he did a great job um what was some of the stuff you would have taken out of the movie? I mean, I think we both agreed it was overlong. We were also just exhausted because Apatow spoke before the screening we saw, and it just went went on and on and on. on. And on no. I mean, he was great, but the interviewer was just terrible. And anyway, we, we, we were, were we for, were in for four hours. Yeah, we sat. We, we sat were in the, the theater for four, four hours. hours. So, so, and, so I actually have to have to give have to give the movie credit that it did capture our attention after you know even being exhausted at, while it was beginning. But mm-hmm. I would have taken some shears to this movie, and I'm wondering where you would have done that. Um, nowhere. I kind of liked it all. I don't know. What, what would you have cut? I just sort of feel like there were some long sort of static periods where a lot of the same stuff was happening over and over at the beginning. A lot of time was spent, for example, uh, establishing the relationship between Seth Rogen and his roommates, played by Jason Schwartzman and, and Jonah Hill. Mm-hmm. And I felt like a lot of that sort of got into, you know, an, an overly familiar from, you know, Apatow produced vehicles, sort of like guy joshing, which he writes very well and, and it can be really funny. But among those three guys, there just wasn't as much at stake as there was with the with the Adam Sandler, Seth Rogen relationship. Right. It, it's almost like, you know, in 40 year old version, you had uh, all the stock guys who worked at the electronics store who would hang out and then the romantic plot on the side. And in Knocked Up, you had him, Seth Rogen and all of his roommates and then his relationship with Catherine Heigl on the side. And it's almost like maybe he felt like, oh, well, I've got this triangle between Leslie Mann, Adam Sandler, and Seth Rogen, but I gotta have some, you know, guy thing going on the side. <laughs> um, and I think the the whole, the, the point of establishing that relationship is that Seth Rogen, uh, when Adam Sandler hires him to write the jokes, he originally h- tries to hire him and Jonah Hill, uh, and Seth Rogen dicks his own friend uh, to be the only one to go write for, for Adam Sandler. And that's supposed to be the, you see that, you know, Seth Rogen, you know, is a bit of an opportunist himself because he tried to cut his own friend out of the deal. And that is a good scene at Thanksgiving when Jonah Hill realizes that Seth Rogen sort of um, scooped that deal out from under his feet and didn't tell him about it. I, I, there was more at stake in that conversation, and, and I liked it. I did think that that whole love interest with the other girl that they both, you know, he and his roommate both liked was just kind of stuff that was extraneous and that belonged in a different kind of movie. I would, yeah. That, now that you're reminding me, I would have punted the whole thing with Seth Rogen's love interest. Didn't Didn't matter. Didn't need it. I almost felt like in a way, I mean, I, I kind of admire Apatow for trying to step out of, you know, what he usually does, even though the, the whole movie didn't totally work for me. But it was almost like he wasn't brave enough. And he sort of felt at times like he had to slip back into both the ending that we both agree is kind of really compromised ending. Mm-hmm. And then some of those, you know, joshing roommate scenes just sort of felt like they could have been happening in any earlier movie that he, he could have tried something really new and actually actually pushed that love triangle a little bit more. Yeah, it, it should have been about Seth Rogen, Adam Sandler and Leslie Mann. I really did like that interlude, though, that I have a feeling is going to be widely criticized, where they go up to San Francisco or the Bay Area to um, to see Leslie Mann. The, the two guys do, Seth Rogen and Adam Sandler, and they just sort of hang out at her, out at her house for a whole weekend. Mm-hmm. And the plot isn't advanced very much. I mean, a couple important things happen, like Leslie Mann and Adam Sandler sleep together. Sleep together, sure. And then her husband gets home. So, you know, there is this, you know, the love triangle um, stuff. But there's also just a lot of downtime in those sequences. And yet I think some of the best stuff in the movie happens in those sequences, too. I think so, too. I mean, well, that's when you... Uh well, and here again, I mean, 
do you think it was kind of uh, like as they're hanging out and they're having a good time and Leslie Mann realizes that she still loves Adam Sandler and she doesn't love her husband because he's cheating on her and she thinks she can break up with her husband and still you know keep her kids and take them to LA and, and uh, be with Adam and then everything's going great and Sandler is you know getting along great and Seth Rogen's getting along great and then all of a sudden it seems like it turns on a dime that Adam Sandler doesn't really like her kids that much that seems to happen very quickly and like oh I'm getting exhausted playing with these kids and then Leslie Mann shows a video of her daughter singing in a school pageant and Adam Sandler doesn't really seem to care and just seeing Adam Sandler not care about her daughter singing in the pageant is enough for Leslie Mann to do a complete 180 from I cheated on you I cheated on my husband with you 36 hours ago and because you didn't like my daughter singing in a pageant I realized this was all oh, a mistake oh see that's funny because to me that moment rang completely true and that's actually the moment I was thinking of when I was saying that some of the best drama happens there I thought that was that was great and even if it, she did turn on a dime I feel like we as an audience had been getting some some hints dropped beforehand that you know it wasn't going to be right with them and that was a moment that I actually I really do admire something that, that Apatow I think is trying to do with this comedy which is that everybody has flaws I mean big time flaws like right. oh, every, almost everyone in this movie at some point or another treat someone else really badly absolutely yeah. shittily right Leslie mm-hmm. Mann cheats on her husband Seth Rogen takes steals his takes his friends jokes Adam Sandler, Sandler treats everyone horribly the right. husband is at times horrible but is then sort of redeemed the Eric Bana character and so right. I felt like you know this thing that you always give lip service to about well-rounded characters really happens in this movie almost to That's a fault true. you know and you're asked to feel a lot of different ways about these people over the course of two and a yeah, half yeah no hours. I think she, uh, Leslie Mann definitely was right to come to that realization about Sandler because Sandler was that guy I just felt like the mechanics of it was a bit like the illness. It was a, it was a little pro forma. Contrived, yeah. Contrived of, 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 of how it came about. Let's take a break before we wrap up for a word from our sponsor, audible.com, or rather a word about our sponsor, audible.com, which is the leading provider of audiobooks on the web. They have a deal right now with Slate where if you go to our show page, which is audiblepodcast.com slash spoiler, you can sign up for a month-long membership and you get a free audiobook with that that you get to keep even if you don't keep your membership, which I guarantee you will want to. And you actually had a recommendation uh, related to this movie, right, that's on Audible. Uh, yes, uh, Steve Martin's Born Standing Up, uh, read by the author and unabridged. Um, I've read it, Dana's read it, and it, it, closest to anything, gets to sort of the malaise behind Adam Sandler's character and the loneliness of being a stand-up comedian and the loneliness of the road and um, uh, basically what it's like to live trying to make the rest of the world laugh. It's a really well-written book. I, mean, I was amazed at what a, what a writer Steve Martin is. I mean, of course, I knew he was a comedy writer, but he actually right. is, a, is a very good memoirist as well. So, yeah, I, I stand behind that recommendation. All right, let's get back to the movie. And, and what did you want to? What did you want to? Well, here's up with? here's one thing. I mean, we, we've really focused in on the character and the drama. We haven't talked about what's funny so much. I mean, I many times during this movie busted out uncontrollably laughing. One of the things that I think works best in the movie is the cameos. Adam Sandler hires Seth Rogen to write him some MySpace jokes because he's working at this MySpace corporate event and they're paying him like $300,000 for it. And as he picks him up in the limousine and they get on the private plane and they're going to this event, you hear James Taylor's Carolina in My Mind on the soundtrack, uh, like just like a soundtrack song would be, and then they get to the MySpace event and James Taylor's playing the MySpace event, and it's you know it's ambient music. That it's a Mel Brooks gag, right? Isn't yeah. that in Blazing Saddles? It's kind of a Mel Brooks kind of gag, and uh, there's some great lines, you know, with Adam, you know, James Taylor, you know, saying fuck, fuck Facebook, and and you know, making dick jokes with uh, Seth Rogen, and James Taylor making dick jokes is just always good. And then you know, <laughs> it's just got great cameos. There's one great scene 
where Sandler's talking about the travesties of fame, and he's just at a restaurant with Eminem. For no reason, it's Eminem. And, you know, uh, they go off on, you know, this this riff about, you know, how much it sucks to be famous and, and this, that, and the other. Um, it's got Sarah Silverman, Ray Romano. I mean, it's just full of, of, of great comedian cameos. Um, so that, that stuff really made me laugh a lot. And then the, the sort of the stand-up interludes were good. Um, I thought that it was a good, uh, good capturing of the nature of stand-up, you know, from the, the, the loose, you know, working things out kind of sets that they do at the club in L.A. to the big, you know, uh, more well-produced shows in San Francisco. Um, you know, I just, it's really, really, you know, a funny movie. Yeah, it definitely it definitely makes you laugh. I mean, I mean I'm going to have to say that I I am recommending it with some reservations. I think that if you don't like well, this brand of humor already, get up in when it, if you're it, somebody who's saying I want Seth Rogen out of my face, I'm sick of this sort of whole school of apatow comedy, then maybe not, right? Well, it might not be your thing, but it just when when you're watching the movie after you see Adam Sandler and as he says Nari, the 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 his new hanger on comedian at the. Uh, at the comedy club, and then you see Seth Rogen taking his girlfriend on a date, and they're sitting up above the Hollywood Hills, uh, you know, talking or something. Get up and leave right at that moment, right before Seth. They show Seth Rogen in a deli again because if you see Seth Rogen in a deli again, you're fucked. The movie's going to be ruined for you. Get up and leave before that happens, and you'll love the movie. I don't know that I felt that negative about the ending, but it's true. In spirit, you have seen the whole movie by the time you've gotten to that deli scene at the end. Yeah, there, there is, there is absolutely no reason why Adam Sandler's character should be redeemed in this. It'd be like redeeming the Joker at the end of Batman. Right. It's just why he's there to be the negative force that teaches Seth Rogen a lesson so that Seth Rogen who will one day be a successful comedian in in the as a his movie character so that when he gets there he won't be so much of an asshole yeah there's something going on there whether it's focus group or Prozac I don't know something got in the way I, of the I, dark I don't know I don't, I'd love to talk to Apatow about it uh, and just ask him because it really it really doesn't make any sense okay Tanner well thanks a lot for coming to the movie with thank me thank you Dana and please join me again soon on another do. Slate spoiler special podcast for Slate.com I'm Dana Stevens with the Lucky Land Slots you can get lucky just about anywhere this is your captain speaking uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky no no nothing like that it's just these cash prizes add up quick so I suggest you sit back keep your tray table upright and start getting lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com are you feeling lucky? no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details